Doubt is an illness that comes from knowledge and leads to madness. Gustave Flaubert. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Balonius Pundits. I am Kentad Svensgard, and along with me, as usual, please say hello to our good friend, Mr. AJ Mass. Kentad, I have some doubts as to how you're running this podcast. Please turn in your headphones and mic. <laughs> oh, but before we get there, we have a little bit to go over, AJ, before I turn in my uh, materials here. Uh, folks, this is a podcast about the TV program Criminal Minds. Each week, we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen this show before, and that's the perspective I'm going to be giving you. And JJ, JJ, <laughs> who is on the show, but is not AJ, who I am talking to. AJ uh, has seen each and every episode plenty of times, and uh, he's our grizzled veteran, if you will, and he'll be giving you that perspective. Sounds good to me. <laughs> How are we doing this week? <laughs> oh, we're doing just dandy. We are at season three. Yes, indeed. I have been looking forward to this season, and what a banger we have to start off with. <laughs> oh, boy. Folks, we are looking at Season 3, Episode 1 of Criminal Minds. This episode is entitled Doubt. It was uh, directed by Gloria Muzio, and it was written by Chris Mundy, and it originally aired on September 26th, 2007, and AJ... Let's just get right into it. Of course, we start off with the recap of our season two finale, where Frank returned and uh, chaos ensued. <laughs> and uh, among his victims was Gideon's friend, possible romantic interest, but we don't know. It never got a chance to go that far because uh, Sarah was one of Frank's victims. This has left Gideon feeling quite guilty because Frank was coming after him. And that's how he got to Sarah. Also, we had a government bigwig named Aaron Strauss who wants Hotch out of the BAU for some mysterious reason. I mean, I can't wait to find out what her reason for feeling this way is. Uh, hopefully we do. But uh, she wants him out and she's going to manipulate Prentice into helping her. Turns out she's the one that gave Prentice her position. Yeah, so a lot of mysteries solved at the end of season two. Uh, and again, I will say this was supposed to be uh, the season finale. Uh, it was postponed because of a school shooting, which uh, you're killing on campus situation. Yeah, probably not the best uh, taste in the mouth as this was going on in real life at the time. So sure, uh, understood why they why, why they moved it. Uh, but it, it it's it's a weird season premiere <laughs> energy yes. because we're like last season wait last season <laughs> and it wasn't really a right. cliffhanger it was more of a, a to be continued over a time situation yes it definitely is that and uh by the time we get to the end of the episode it really feels like it should have been a finale rather than a, 
<laughs> then exactly. I start. Anyway, so we start off and we see the mountains and forest and Gideon's cabin, which we have seen before. Inside, Gideon is writing to a, a letter to someone. We don't know who. I have a, a guess, but I think maybe my guess is wrong by the time we get to the end of the episode. But well, we, my can, we first, can discuss, yeah. My first thought was Hotch. I'll just say that. That's who I thought he was writing to at first. And because we can't actually see what Gideon is writing, they do the old standard, we're going to do a voiceover for the whole episode. And that didn't take away from the realism for me. Yeah, and, and, the, and <laughs> the thing is, this is a voiceover for the whole episode. <laughs> yes. Um, so we don't have our, our bracket quotes for this episode at all because Gideon's yapping the whole, the whole way through. But at least when they said Gideon on my on my uh, closed captioning, they were right this time. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least we have that. Thank you, Netflix. So Gideon does voiceover and he's saying, I knew it would be you who came to the cabin to check on me. And immediately that one sentence had me going, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not good. Uh, that, phrasing, that phrasing is what made me think it was Hotch, by the way, that uh, got this. And that maybe perhaps this might be a suicide letter. I thought that immediately. Well, we can, we can see how you feel at the end. Let's, let's get yes. there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Gideon's description and narration of what's going on is all about his feelings. And he's feeling lost. He's confused at the world uh, and how it can be so cruel. After Sarah's murder, he at first thought he could still handle things. And he says, uh, remember the first case we worked after? It was on a college campus. Yeah, I mean, that one's a little, <laughs> a little on the nose for a, a letter that you are writing. Potential suicide note. It was on a college campus. The sky was cloudy. <laughs> the temperature, 72 degrees. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, boy. So, yes, we do flashback, and we are helpfully uh, told that it is Flagstaff, Arizona. We see our team uh, on an airport tarmac getting off of their jet. Our local detective is there to meet them at the jet. Uh, his name is Jim Griffiths. He introduces himself, and then they start to talk about the university. Uh, it's a small university, single-sex dorms, mostly artsy-type students. He confirms that he's increased uh, the security presence there, uh, and he's imposed a 10 p.m. curfew on everyone, and he has security shuttles running back and forth. They're going to go straight to the precinct because, as Gideon points out, spree killings in a confined area are a race. The unsub is racing to kill as many as possible, and the BAU team is racing to stop him. Yeah, we jump right into the ticking clock right away. <laughs> it's like, oh, we got to catch spree killers. You have to catch immediately, and we've established it, so it's good on that. I did find it a little odd that, you know, having gone to a major college with a major campus, yes, there is some coordination between campus security and uh, real-world security, the police force of the, of the local city. But in general, it's not the PD that's going to provide these shuttles and things like that. That's still going to be handled by campus security. It's just, it was right. weird that he's like, he. this is a huge step for him to go in and say, we're providing <laughs> shuttles right. and whatnot. Like, the, you, that's serious, man. I can't imagine a situation. Even with murders, uh, I don't know that... The PD would say, yeah, we're going to handle. <laughs> you guys take a step back. This is on us. 
Yeah, and I don't know if that's small town overreaction. I don't know if Flagstaff is small town. It seems a little bit more major than small town to me, but... Yeah, I mean, I've heard of it, so that's that's more than some of these places. (laughs) So we do cut to the campus where we see that a girl has just missed one of those uh, aforementioned security shuttle buses, and we cut to inside the bus... This is a group of all-female students inside the bus, and we do get an immediate feeling of weirdness and tenseness at the situation because of the fact that, you know, there's murders going on, and or and this is the reality now where they have to take these security buses, so it does feel a little bit tense. We cut to the bus dropping off a few students who are walking up to a dorm, and there is an RA-type person at the door who greets them, gives them a little bit of grief for showing up only five minutes before curfew, uh, and she also warns them right away she's going to write them up if she catches them drinking. Oh, man. I, I, have, to, I have to step in here. Yeah. I was an RA for two years <laughs> with freshman residents and the whatnot. This is one of the most exaggerated, <laughs> worst <laughs> depictions of what an RA is and what they do. There is no way in his hell that the RA would be out there tapping her foot and waiting. I get this is an extreme circumstance. And perhaps the, the residence hall director who works directly right. for the school might be there saying, hey, I want to make sure everybody's in here. and We're doing a head count. An individual RA would not, would not be doing this in this way. It's just not going to happen. And if they hadn't named her RA at some point on the show, maybe we would have thought this was the director, like you said. But Yeah. But no. They're getting, paid, they're getting paid thousands of dollars, you know, to, to actually do a real job. Like, as opposed to, hey, I'll get free room and board and maybe I'll organize a spaghetti dinner once <laughs> and, and I'll get credit. <laughs> right. So anyway, uh, the R- the RA takes a look at a list of names that she's holding there by the door, and it appears that only one person hasn't checked in. The name is Amy Deckerman, and I have to say that list bothered me because it was not in alphabetical, alphabetical order, order. <laughs> exactly. by, by first or last name. I don't know why <laughs> that bothered me, but it did, AJ. <laughs> Perhaps for the same reason it bothered the hell out of me. I, for, I did the little freeze frame there and went, what the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, how? I guess this RA is super RA and knows everybody's face and exactly where they are placed on that list. <laughs> I, 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 the only the only thing I was looking for is that maybe it was by the master list that the RA got at the beginning of the year, and it was divvied by room number, which would not be alphabetical. And you know, you would know. All right, they're one hundred one, they're one hundred two, they're one hundred three, they're one hundred four. However, it was it looked very slipshod. <laughs> yes. Yes indeed. So next we cut to I assume is Amy Deckerman. She's the girl that missed the bus and she's scanning around her environment looking a little bit pensive because she knows what's going on. And we have Gideon voicing over that he met Sarah on a campus just like that one 31 years ago. And campuses are supposed to be places of life and excitement. They're supposed to be about the future, figuring yourself out. They're supposed to be about dreams, not nightmares. They're supposed to be about hope. Uh, Gideon is saying he just doesn't understand the world anymore. We that's, s- I mean, that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> that's deep, especially because, like, look, I, I all 
reaction and we grieve in our own way. And sure, he's shaken up. This is someone he knew who was killed in his home. I mean, that should be enough of a trigger rather than, I was on a college campus. I met her on a college campus. <laughs> <You're gonna> <laughs> be, <laughs> it, it was Tuesday. I met her on a Tuesday. <laughs> right. There was a woman here. She was a woman. <laughs> like, he, he was going to make a connection no matter where it was. Mm-hmm. It seemed a bit much. <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, we do see Amy hear a sound, and she looks behind her a bit fearfully. But then we see her relax and smile and look relieved. Unfortunately, our unseen upsub proceeds to shock her with a taser. And then we see they've got a knife out, and an attack begins, and we go to opening credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. Season three of Criminal Minds. Ooh, special. Uh, We come back to our crime scene. And uh, Detective Griffiths is talking to the team. He's got men at every exit on the campus. And JJ notes that Amy had her mace out and was ready, but she didn't use it. JJ is all up in the case now. Like, I'm still a little confused because JJ's now examining bodies and <laughs> basically just one of the team. It's- well, you know, we. <laughs> Yes, we've replaced Elle with Emily, and Emily's got her own way of doing things. But, I mean, if she's there and there's no media to talk to, we've already proven, I think, JJ has proven that she's probably the best investigator on the team. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, Hodge is not going to say, hey, why don't you go back to the station and hide out? I mean, as long as she's there, she will do the stuff, and that's why Hodge lets her do the stuff. Yeah. Hey, she's getting paid less money for... uh, So, Hot should be praised for that. Uh, (laughs) um, Well, your budget is very good, Agent Hot. However. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, JJ also points out that the area is well lit and that the unsub was clearly not afraid of being seen. Griffith mentions that the shuttles run every 10 minutes. And JJ asks if the other victims were posed with the same way with their arms crossed over their chest. Griffith confirms that that was indeed the case. And Gideon is looking at the body. But instead of seeing Amy Deckerman there, Gideon actually starts to imagine that it's Sarah laying there on the ground with her arms crossed over her chest. Morgan is explaining to Griffith that the pose is a classic sign of remorse that the unsub kills the victim, feels bad about it, and poses them like this so that they may rest in peace. And Griffith says, "Uh, you can tell that just by the arms. They say, well, that's why you called us here, to build a psychological profile. Thankfully, that's it, as far as the explanation. Even though this was supposed to be the season finale, it's now the season premiere, and we're we're still throwing that one line in there in case you're the first episode you've seen, I suppose. (laughs) Yes. Oh, boy. So Gideon tells the crew to have Hotch go set up at the precinct, which I think he already did. So I'm not sure why he's saying that, but (laughs) he lets us know where (laughs) Hotch is and uh, that they'll be running everything through him. He needs to get a handle on this by the time everyone on campus wakes up. He looks around the area and in his mind, standing there behind the crime tape is Sarah just watching him with a look in her eye like she's just looking at him and waiting to see what he's going to do next. Yeah, a little uh, judgmental. <laughs> exactly. They're like, what are you, you going to do about this one, Gideon? You're going to avenge me? Avenge me! <laughs> uh, it, and again, this not knowing at the time that that this was a, a move, or you're not remembering that, you know, oh, they moved this episode. It makes much more sense to bring this actress in 
after being killed last week to shoot these episodes as opposed to waiting a whole season and bringing her in. Right. <laughs> like, they would not have done this, him seeing her everywhere, if they hadn't filmed these back to back. Yeah, it does. It makes a lot more sense now. So now we cut to our RA and she's banging on the doors of the dorm, checking in on people. Our two students from before come out of their room wondering what's up. And then we cut back to Griffith introducing Morgan and Gideon to the dean of the school, Suzanne Cable. I like her name, even though she really had nothing to do in this episode. I, I do like Suzanne Cable. I was excited that they named her <laughs> Dean Cable. <laughs> yes. And then nothing, basically. Uh, we then cut back to the dorm. And the students are there sh- looking shocked as JJ is going over the details of what happened to Amy. One of our two girls from before speaks up saying, how could they let this happen? Cops are all over the campus. The FBI is there. And this girl gets murdered waiting for the security shuttle. And the RA says, that's not helpful, Katie. (laughs) And and, uh, Reed says, you know, it is. Um, Actually, the fact that she was killed in a well-lit area with police presence means that our killer is most likely a part of this campus not an outsider. And uh, JJ also decides this is the time to bring up that the three victims uh, were brunette and that they do consider that to be an intentional pattern. I mean, in a way, it's like, you know, Katie was very much like, so why did you let this happen? I can can imagine JJ going, well, you know, I'm blonde, so I'm safe. Are you, Katie? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I was just going to say brunette Katie and her brunette roommate look at each other like, ah, hell. Uh, (laughs) It seems a bit more pointed for JJ to make that point here. (laughs) Exactly. We next cut to our dean asking uh, Griffith how she's supposed to keep these women safe. And I immediately am thinking probably blonde hair dye. That might (laughs) be helpful here. Griffith says that he's installing security cameras everywhere. And don't worry, it's coming out of the city's budget. I I like that he's, you know, thinking about things like that. Uh, Important questions. He doesn't want the dean to freak out about paying for cameras. Overtime cops and whatnot and cameras. (laughs) and just like We we got this. Don't worry. The dean wants to just shut the school down. And Morgan points out that, you know, that could work. But if the unsub is part of the campus, he'll just leave once the school shuts down and then start killing again once school resumes. Yeah, I would say that Morgan shouldn't have said that could work. Well, that will work. If there's nobody here, he won't kill anyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Zero yeah. people. Yeah. I don't know if they'll stop him from killing. But yeah, I, the, the bigger point is, but then as soon as you open up, then they'll, they'll start again. So you're just delaying the inevitable. Right. So the dean asked Gideon what he would do. And Gideon is not helpful at all. <laughs> he just says uh, he doesn't know. <laughs> and uh, obviously he's got... Sarah on the mind, I think, is the implication here. Uh, the dean decides that she's going to shut it down against Morgan's good advice. Uh, she's right, actually. She just can't justify keeping these kids locked up while someone is out there hunting them down. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, they're studying for tests. We will learn at some point later and everything. So maybe it's close to the end of the semester anyway. So like, all right, we'll just wrap up a week early 
go home, come back in three weeks. Or, you know, it, this may not be a like, hey, we've been here for two weeks. Right. <laughs> in September, let's let's shut everything down. So I, that might have factored into it as well. Gideon voices over at this point that he can't really look at anyone without seeing them dying. And as bad as losing faith in humanity seems, losing faith in happy endings is much worse this is an eloquent letter, but so sad that <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's, a, it's just like, yeah. But did you expect anything less? Uh, <laughs> again, you were you were you were thinking that perhaps this is a suicide note. And uh, this is this is exactly what Gideon's suicide note would be. Absolutely. <laughs> Next, we cut to Prentice with the medical examiner uh, and the body of Amy Deckerman. The body has what Prentice calls uh, overkill, meaning a lot of stab wounds in it. And the ME confirms that the other bodies were just the same. Death was caused first by a single forceful stab wound to the heart. And after that, the killer just lashed out at random. They do note that there's no defensive wounds on the body. She didn't hold up her hands to fight him off. And Prentice asks about the toxicology and the ME says none of the other girls were drugged. And considering that... Amy was just standing there waiting for a shuttle bus. He's guessing that she wasn't either. And I'm like, just do the work. What do you mean guessing? (laughs) (laughs) Just do the work. (laughs) I I didn't take that as he's not going to do the work. I took that more as a, well, obviously she was standing waiting for a bus. I mean, she wasn't lying on the ground. (laughs) Right. That that seemed more of the common sense approach rather than a, I'm not going to take the the labs here. I just, well, it was because I get, Prentice said, did you do it? I just, you know. Oh, it, I, I, I hear yet. you. I'm okay. going to defend my man here. <laughs> that's all. I just like, I just took it as, well, you know, yeah, she was standing. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was like, was it pre-mortem? Was it anti-mortem or post-mortem? Well, I mean, she was jumping up and down and climbing a tower. So I'm going to say that she was alive when it happened. You know, like, you know, certain conclusions just make sense, man. You can defend him all you want. He was no Jack Klugman. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, all right. Let's move on, Quincy. <laughs> we uh, next cut to Reed and JJ talking to our dorm room duo, Katie, an unnamed roommate. And uh, they're explaining they were at the library last night. They didn't go there with Amy, but they did see her there. They didn't notice her talking to anyone previously. And when Reed asks if it was like Amy to be walking alone in a dangerous situation like this, Katie is like, yeah, uh, she was definitely not the victim type. And Reed tries to say, oh, no, 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 that's I know. I understand. We're just trying to, you know, show you guys how to protect yourselves. And uh, and that's not what Katie meant. She just meant that Amy was strong and smart and she really doesn't understand why she wouldn't try to mace him. Uh, They do confirm that. Almost all of the girls have, at this point, bought pepper spray, mace, switchblades, whatever they can get their hands on. And then they do ask if it's sure that he's killing brunettes. And J.J., once again, (laughs) J.J. is like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, they are. Yes, he is. (laughs) They most certainly are now. About that lockdown, you go back to your rooms now. I'm going to go for a walk. (laughs) So the girls look at each other again, and we cut back to Prentice leaving the medical examiner's office. Uh, As she's on her way out, she gets a phone call, and it's Strauss who's checking in on her, asking her about the case. 
Emily's like, uh, nothing to report, ma'am. And Strauss is like, yeah, but you will let me know if there is anything to report, won't you? <laughs> uh, Emily looks annoyed and says she has to get back to work. And Strauss looks smug as she says, well, you know where you can reach me. And, and she hangs up. And a pissed off Emily just throws herself <laughs> into the wind. <laughs> it's like, that's an overreaction a little bit, Emily. <laughs> like, well, you're going to need that phone. <laughs> very true. But they have the, you know, the lingering shot of Strauss. They're like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, she didn't do that, but it, she practically did. <laughs> I wonder who yeah. the bad guy is. <laughs> <laughs> Are they setting anyone up for that part? Oh, uh, well, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. We next cut to Gideon and Morgan, who are walking the campus with Griffith. Uh, Gideon says it'll take two or three days to empty out the whole campus realistically. Uh, and that's going to be their window to catch this guy. So we've it upgraded the timetable a little bit. Uh, oh, well, more well-defined ticking clock. Yeah. We knew there was a ticking clock, but now we know when the alarm's going off. Yep. Yep. So now Griffith asks, what do uh, they need? And Morgan says, are the security cameras going to be functional by nightfall? And he confirms that they are. And Gideon says, we'll also need as many of your men on duty as possible. The unsub, if he's... You know, someone like we've identified that probably works with the campus somehow. Uh, he's going to know that it's about to shut down and that it'll be his last few days to hunt. Uh, Morgan says it'll also be a good idea to have some of the younger officers go plain clothes, try to blend in. Griffith uh, says he'll get on that and he'll also coordinate with the campus police to do the same thing. Yeah, it's a shame that there are no young brunette cops in this department, because wouldn't that be like the first thing that you do is like, hey, why don't we throw a couple of cop decoys out there, walk around at night? But apparently mm -hmm. that that's not part of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> no. So next we cut to a young woman who is walking into one of the buildings and a, gra a guy dressed as a campus security uh, guard says uh, good morning and he rushes over to hold the door open for her. And his lingering stare as she walks in, and also the bad guy music, <laughs> cue us into the fact that this is probably going to be our unsub. Yeah, and then we had to a break. If you did not catch that Strauss was the bad guy in this whole scenario when they did the lingering shot at her, oh no, they were just warming up a practice run. It's just say, remember, Strauss bad? Let's do the same shot for this guy. This guy bad. Yeah, this is about as unsubby and unsub tip-off you can have, <laughs> of course. Uh, but of course, as we'll see, that does that mean he's truly the unsub? Maybe we are all just profiling wrongly. Mm -hmm. mm, just because a guy holds the door for a girl and has a creepy smile. <laughs> doesn't mean he's a killer. Yeah. We come back to the present, and Gideon is still cozy in his cabin, writing his long-ass letter. <laughs> uh, he asks, how many victims have they seen? How many crime scenes? Hundreds? A thousand? We cut to the precinct, and we see the victims' pictures on the uh, old cork board as Gideon continues his voiceover. Pictures, families, victims both alive and dead. I was always able to stay objective and at arm's length, but now all I can see is Sarah in them. Hotch asks Gideon, how many days will it take to evacuate the students? 
He tells him two or three days, which we've already established, but I guess Hotch didn't know. Uh, Hotch says, well, do you think what we're doing, what they're doing is premature? And Gideon says, do they really have a choice? So Hotch tells Griffith to gather his men. They're going to present their profile, a rough profile. He <laughs> is sure to specify. Yes. Yeah, we don't have all the information yet. By the way, to answer your question, 45. That's how many cases we've seen so far. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Good point. Bodies is a little higher. Bodies yeah, is yeah. a little, but <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm not doing the count. <laughs> all right. So they start the profile scene. They give the cops all the details we've covered already. This is someone with access. It's someone who doesn't raise suspicion. There's a good chance it's someone they have already seen. He is what we call a spree killer. He most likely had something in the past few days that set him off. Whatever this stressor was, it may be that it has something to do with the woman that fits the same description of his victims, so white and brunette. Maybe the stressor was a wife, a mother, a girlfriend. The women that he's killing are likely a substitute, so you want to look at people on campus, see if anyone fits that bill. And Griffith wants to know how they're supposed to know about anyone's home life, and I'm like, uh, you investigate? <laughs> it's, <laughs> you ask questions, but I get what he was saying, but yeah, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> in fairness, it's like, there's how many people on campus? So yeah, I mean, you can't look at them and figure it out, and you can't investigate everybody. <laughs> right. They do point out that the people around the unsub will have noticed that this person is devolving. So if they happen to suspect anyone, then talk to the people who know them, see if they've recently found religion, they've recently been drinking, doing anything out of the ordinary, maybe even harming themselves. Maybe he feels emasculated. There's a good chance rejection is a recurring theme in his life. He showed a lot of anger by stabbing his victims repeatedly, then right after he obviously felt remorse or guilt because maybe his victims trusted him. He's definitely a part of campus life. The victims felt safe around him. He's able to get close and kill them without them fighting back. Uh, nobody has any defensive wounds on their hands. At that point, a policewoman speaks up and says, oh, like they'd been tasered first. Immediately, Hotch is like, huh? Yeah, that's possible. Why are you saying that? At that point, Emily gets an idea and she gets up to go walk out. And Griffith says, well, the security guards on campus aren't allowed guns, so they carry tasers. And Gideon asks him for the employee list for the campus security. And then we cut to him because he's gone to find Emily. And Emily's at a printer printing a picture from the body of the victim. Gideon asks her what's up. And Emily shows him the picture and says, well, these markings could have easily come from a taser. And she holds a taser uh, up to the picture as if to prove the point, which I guess she does, but it was kind of silly. Well, you know, it, uh, it just goes back to the fact that she was at the autopsy, or, you know, the, you know she's at the morgue. It wasn't autopsy, but I haven't finished at that point. But she's there, they're investigating the body. If she remembers these marks being there, then surely it came up. And at the time, she would have said, oh, that looks like a taser. <laughs> because... It looks like a taser. <laughs> In fact, probably yes. the ME would have said, you know, this could be a taser. Uh, so I have no problem with, with, with the woman, the cop saying, oh, oh taser. Yeah, the, the security guards carry tasers there. And Emily can just easily say, you know what? Yeah, there were two marks that could be a taser. Like, 
you didn't need That's this. All. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it didn't come up right away because you're, you're being inundated with information and Strauss interrupted her before she could, you know, put her on her brain somewhere else. So I'm I'm cool with her not remembering immediately, but it's just like, oh, wait, let me go to the pictures. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Let me run up out of the ongoing profile to to check that picture. Yeah. Uh, it was a little odd. Yeah, so but we got uh, we got there. The cops actually did some some nice work there, and and now we have a list of anyone who's worked for security for yep. Garcia at a clickety clack. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Griffith comes in, gives them the list. So Emily calls Garcia to check the list against criminal records, and we I kind of got the impression that we see Garcia just real quick there, just to make sure that she gets in this episode somewhere, some way, somehow. Yeah. Uh, we next cut to our suspicious guard from before, and he is in a room, and we are more suspicious of him because heavy metal music is playing mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Never a good thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, he must be bad. Thank you, soundtrack. Also, the fact that he's got a lot of weapons, guns, <laughs> knives, and he's doing little pose shots of him aiming and, and whatnot. We get the idea that maybe, yeah, he's a bad guy. He also holsters a, a big, big old knife next to his ankle. He's just generally being creepy. Uh, he does hold up some pictures of a pretty brunette woman, woman, and then he's throwing them all away, although he cuts one up. So he's just left with the half of it that shows a young girl. We can assume maybe a daughter. He throws the rest of the pictures of the way and leaves what I'm calling his lair. Fair enough. They, that was as Larry a lair as you'll ever lair. <laughs> we cut to Garcia's screen with the security guard list, but she's got nothing, no criminal records. So Prentice has her to check, cross-check it against police and military records, see if any of them got kicked out or rejected from that. She does find one. A picture of our guard from before okay, comes hang on, up. hang on here. She, she doesn't find one. Okay, first, first she says... that. I need more information. That's too general. Even though, you know, last right. week she had a list of about 80 people that was going beep, 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 boop, beep, 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 boop, beep, 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 boop. And she said, <laughs> right. oh, I'm never going to finish this list. And here she's got a list that's just as long. She went, no, I went beep, 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 boop, and I'm done. <laughs> Which is, I need more than that. And she's like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe check this, check that, check this. And she's like, oh. And a picture of Tubbs just appears on her screen. What program is she running where she yes. can go search all of their histories? Bling, here's my picture. <laughs> yes. She's got that Garcia magic. I'm it's telling just, you, she's got her own operating system and it works how it, it needs to works, at that particular yes, time. It's just, this is not a program she has. That ought to really, just pop up the one picture. Oh, oh, there's a picture. There he is. His name is this. <laughs> You know, some weeks the picture pops up like, hang on, I got to check his name and everything. I don't know. This week it's like, oh, check all the names. Boop, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes, this is our suspect. It's Nathan Tubbs. He was rejected from the police academy in 2003 because he failed his psych evaluation. And at that moment, Griffith walks in with the list of the four guards that were at every crime scene, which Emily quickly scans and sees that indeed Nathan Tubbs is one of the names. So she asks Garcia, what else can she find on Tubbs? Clickety, clickety, clack. <laughs> I need more hey. information than that. It's too, it's, you're being too generic. Generic. Give me something more specific. No, no. Clickety, clickety, clack. Well, this happened. Yes. 
Apparently, six days ago, he lost custody of his daughter. Six days ago, and it's already in the court system, which, well, I guess it's believable, but most civil, like, they take a little time to get their data into the system from what I've seen, but I, well, whatever. If the failed psychic valve from some rando from four years ago pops up in 0. 0.2 seconds, then sure, this can pop up in 0. 0.4 seconds. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so he lost custody of his child to his wife. He doesn't have any visitation rights. And Emily is like, how much you want to bet his ex-wife is a brunette? She tells Garcia that she's the best to which Garcia replies word. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the only way, the only way that could have been more bizarre <laughs> is if Emily would have said, and how much you want to bet she's a brunette? Bink! <laughs> I have a picture of his wife and daughter here. <laughs> From his social media, which I had also hack, you know, like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, we next cut to Emily telling the team that they've got a possible suspect. And then we quickly cut to a door being kicked in. I was a little confused because Gideon was at the head of the crowd. It didn't really seem like he was the door kicker, but Morgan wasn't nearby. No, Morgan. See, I actually went by and rewound this a couple of times because I wanted to make sure. <laughs> okay. It is Morgan who is kicking the door. Uh, because of the angle of the camera, when the door swings open, Morgan has recoiled from the kick and fallen a bit okay. behind Gideon. Uh, they didn't quite film this perfect so that you could know it was Morgan, Morgan but it was Morgan. <laughs> okay, I was concerned. Yeah, no, that was my first. First foot was in air and he was like kind of <laughs> leaning back a little bit back into the left, back into the left. So no, definitely. I supruded this and it was indeed Morgan's kick in the door. We, we can't not start season three with Morgan kicking in the door. <laughs> Thank you for uh, for checking on that. Next, we cut to a desk and we see a bunch of porn tapes on it, including hot tub nurses was uh, <laughs> prominently displayed at the top. And there's a bottle of Kentucky bourbon, just bourbon. That's that's the name. <laughs> bourbon. <laughs> if it's real bourbon, you don't need a name. <laughs> that's right. And. The, the place is a mess, and it's at this point where I'm suspecting maybe this guy is not our unsub, AJ. Mainly because there's still a half hour to go. And it's a little <laughs> too perfect. And it, yeah. Although, I will say Morgan is the, the, the most... Sometimes they can search a place for, for five, six hours and not find anything, and Morgan goes right to the trash. Well, look at this picture right here that I found two seconds after I walked in the door, because this is important. Yes. <laughs> Yep. They also find uh, the telltale newspaper clippings up on the wall. Mm-hmm. And anytime you got an article shrine, it's, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. portend well. And yes, as you said, Morgan has found all the pictures of the pretty brunette ex-wife. Prentice is there. She finds Tubbs' work schedule printed out and uh, says he's not on duty. So that prompts Gideon to ask, well, where is he? We next cut to the outside of the campus. It's nighttime now. We see a girl walking toward her car. AJ, I didn't go back to check, because I mainly because I assumed you would. <laughs> but was this the same girl that uh, that Tubbs was looking at earlier that he held the door open for? Do you oh, Did you a, notice? That's a, that's a very good thing. I, you know what? Because it was such a brief shot and, you know, this is a brunette. So I, it probably was because they're usually pretty good about that. I did not check. Uh, but, yeah, good call there. Uh, okay. Yeah, but it, it's a brunette. She's walking along. That's what's yeah. important. Yes. So uh, she's looking nervous as the car uh, the car pulls up behind her. But she, too, relaxes a bit when she sees that it's a security car. It's Nathan. He tells her she shouldn't be out there walking alone. 
She says, well, it's okay. My car is two blocks ahead in the parking lot. Now, when somebody just got murdered, <laughs> I agree. I'm still not, I'm not okay with two blocks to the parking lot. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not walking yeah. alone, at least. At least. Well, yes. And, you know, it's not like the campus has a, an elaborate blue light system that a lot of campuses have where something would go wrong, you hit the button, the security would show up. I mean, security's there. I mean, hey, my car's right, my car's right there. I can see it from here. It's right there. You want to follow me and make sure I get there. That's cool, but it's right there. I'm not getting in the car for you to drive me 50 feet. Right. That should be the argument. <laughs> yeah, she still looks a bit unsure, and she almost looks like she's suspicious, which, you know, good for her somewhat, but uh, she's, she gets into the car. Nathan has a picture of his daughter up on the dashboard, and after a weird little bit of asking the girl if the, if she likes the music he's playing, and he t- turns it up for her. Well, uh, I, mean, I will I will say I like the music he's playing. That is that is uh, Silver Sun pickups, and that, that song that they're playing actually was my MySpace homepage. <laughs> oh <song>. wow! <laughs> so I like the song he was playing. <laughs> and let's let's pour out some bourbon from MySpace, shall we? <laughs> yes. Oh uh, yes, good old Tom. So I believe you were one of my top eight. <laughs> wow, hasn't been. <laughs> have we known each other that? I guess we have. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> oh boy, yep, indeedy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the girl is like, "Oh yeah, your daughter's pretty." You know, she's looking at her picture, and then Nathan starts getting a little bit weird. <laughs> he starts saying Sharing a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, starts saying, "Yeah, well, judge says I can't see her anymore." Uh, you wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> the girl's like, uh, what? He says, you know, make a baby with someone and then just take her away. Yeah, this is the point <laughs> where I would have immediately stopped, dropped, and rolled my way out the vehicle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, hey, he wasn't like he was going more than five miles per hour. It wasn't even a risky on the highway kind of thing. This was like, uh, oh, look over there. Is that the murderer? Click, click, click. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that might have been a good idea. But uh, anyway, she's she's just like, uh, no, I wouldn't do that. And Nathan is like, well, swear it. Swear it to me. You're not a liar, are you? You know, my ex-wife is a liar. This girl is panicking now. She's like, oh, we're at my parking lot. I'll just get out now. And Nathan is like, oh, no, I'll drive you to your car. And she's like, no, I'll just get out. And he's like, no, don't argue with me. <laughs> uh, now, at this point, the girl is starting to even get a little teary-eyed. She clearly is suspecting she made a wrong move here. Yeah, she knows the score. (laughs) But all of a sudden, the car is surrounded by cops, and uh, Morgan and Gideon are there. They're yelling for him to get out of the car. He's like, I didn't do anything. I was protecting her. But he gets out. Meanwhile, Prentice is on the other side of the car. She holds the door open, asks the girl if she's hurt. The girl says she's okay. He didn't hurt her. Gideon and Morgan at this point have subdued Tubbs. Uh, They found his knife and Gideon voices over. Nathan Tubbs, he was easy. There was a time in my career when I would have asked the question that I should have asked. Was he too easy? And then we go to a break. Yeah, and of course, obviously, knowing how much time is left in the episode, perhaps we know what's coming that they'll delve into that, but... Uh, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and go, all right, no, don't arrest him yet. No, no, he's got to stab her first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to catch him in the end. I mean, your profile led to the guy, and 
you know, yeah, you didn't catch him in anything. And sure, any lawyer worth their salt would say he didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, he's a creepy guy. He drove her. He drove her to the car. Like that's not illegal. In fact, it is his job. <laughs> yes. And he, uh, he has porn and bourbon. That's illegal. <laughs> then, a lot then we of should arrest are... half the state of Kentucky. <laughs> yes. So we come back and Gideon and Tubbs are sitting in the interrogation room. And Gideon voices over that are the worst trap for a profiler is to fall into pride, forgetting that for all your skills, profiling is just a tool. Tubbs asks Gideon if he's under arrest, and Gideon says uh, he just wants to visit for a while. <laughs> Tubbs says, well, he didn't murder anyone, and Gideon says he wasn't supposed to be working. And Tubbs says, well, they asked everyone to pick up extra shifts because there's a killer out there, in case you haven't heard. <laughs> <laughs> and Gideon says, well, you've shown up at every crime scene. And Tubbs says, well, that's my job. And Gideon says, well, you seem to be doing it much better than any of your co-workers. I would argue that three of his co-workers did just as well as he did, since there was four people on the list, but okay. Uh, sure, sure, but none of them are picking up extra shifts today, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. So uh, I'm going to say Gan Mandy Patinkin here, not Gideon, gives a great pause after Tubbs has said that, you know what, frankly, people should be thanking him. And Mandy Patinkin gives a great pause and then says, thank you. <laughs> and it cracked me up. <laughs> that particular read. Uh, it very well could have been an ad lib, certainly. <laughs> yes. So Tubbs says, you know what? You think just because I'm a security guard, I don't understand sarcasm. I love that line. <laughs> I, this, this, was, was, this episode was well written, I thought. Uh, that particular line also was enjoyable. Well, like I said, it leads credence to the fact that sometimes you let these actors just run with it. And if you told me that whole exchange was was improvised on both sides, I would believe it because it was electric. And sometimes you need that kind of just spontaneity in a scene because yeah, Tubbs was really good in this scene and he wasn't really good at other scenes. So I was just like, oh, he's, he's, oh, he's feeling it now. Yeah. <laughs> Zach was doing a good job. He's got his mojo now. So yeah, Tubbs says, look, I know how interrogation works, and Gideon asks him if he loses his temper easily, and Tubbs wonders if this is any fun for Gideon, who just looks at him and says, no. We see that uh, Hotch is outside the uh, interrogation room listening, but now he's uh, walked back into the precinct, and Prentiss asks him how it's going, and Hotch says uh, Gideon is winding up him up. Anyone who exhibits that much overkill is bound to explode. Uh, he asks her how she's doing, and she's got a box of evidence from Tubbs' place. She pulls out the taser, says, this is a means of subduing the victim. She pulls out the knife, says, this is our potential weapon. She pulls out the picture of the wife, says, this is our source of displaced rage. She pulls out the custody notice, says, this is our stressor. And then she pulls out a flask, says this is evidence of a self-destructive spiral. She pulls out newspaper clippings and says these are the trophies of his kills. Everything is pointing to this guy as fitting the profile, but they actually don't have anything that they can hold him on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she just didn't say the word. I can't wait for her to say the word. And it's all goddamn circumstantial. <laughs> <laughs> At that moment, we cut back to the interrogation. 
Tubbs is chewing his fingernail for a second, and then he admits to Gideon that he's been under a lot of stress. Gideon says he's keeping clips of the murders on his walls. And Tubbs says, well, yeah, I've been investigating the case. And Gideon says, well, you had a knife on you. And he says, well, we're not allowed guns. And Gideon says, oh, you are allowed knives. And uh, Emily comes in at that moment and places the pictures of the victims in front of Tubbs. Tubbs is staring at her. And she's staring back at him for a moment. And then she walks out of the room and Gideon's like, oh, she's pretty, isn't she? <laughs> it was it was a nice move by, you know, that, that's one of those subtle unspoken moves. They never discussed this we on the show. But, you know, Hotch was like, all right, we, let's bring these pictures in. Like, you bring them in because he likes brunettes. Like, yep. he could have said, JJ, bring them in or Morgan, bring it in. But no, he likes brunette. You go in there. Oh, and, she, and Emily played it. <laughs> Just uh-huh. staring right back at him. With anger, like, I am better than you, knowing that that's going to trigger him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Gideon, yeah, she says, she's pretty, isn't she? Girl you picked up tonight was brunette. And Tubbs is like, oh, was she? <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> uh, and Gideon says, uh, do you like brunettes? And he says, he used to. And then starts <laughs> chewing at another fingernail. And then he says, but not anymore. We cut to the precinct room and Morgan is going over the evidence. But he says he'd feel a lot better if they had some actual physical evidence. The knife turned out to be inconclusive. The taser didn't have any prints on it. He doesn't think they're going to get any DNA either. And Reed says he's going to go stop at the security offices. Uh, Maybe he can find something there. Prentice says she's going to go with them. And Morgan suggests instead she goes to the hotel. Uh, They're not going to hold their rooms forever. And Prentice is like, well, you know what? I'm not going to sleep until this guy confesses. And JJ is like, same. And I'm like, JJ, girl, you ain't got nothing to worry about, Blondie. You can go (laughs) and get you some rest. (laughs) You can go out on a park bench out on campus and take take a nap. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I know that's not what she meant, but <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was yeah, like, yeah. She's, she's gonna finish her, they're, they're gonna finish the job. They're, they're here, they're working. I'm, we're, I'm not tired. What, 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 are we, what are we gonna do? Like, we need to take a nap. We can go in the break room. Like, Morgan, why you? you so tired. You go to a hotel. Yeah. yeah. What are we, you flunkies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So next we cut back to the interrogation room and Tubbs is asking Gideon why he doesn't just charge him. And Gideon says, oh, are you guilty? And Tubbs is like, well, you seem to think I am. And he starts chewing at his nails again, and that's when Gideon goes in on him. He says, you know what I think? I think you chew your cuticles to punish your hands for what they've been doing. (laughs) (laughs) I think you hate your ex-wife. I think you want to kill her, but you can't because she's the mother of your daughter. So you find girls who remind you of her, and then you kill them instead. And you stab them over and over because they deserve it. If not now, they will sooner or later. You're just saving someone else the nightmare for later on and then you remember your daughter and how you're actually supposed to be looking after these girls so you start to feel bad and then you cross their arms over their chests try to give them back some of their dignity and Tubbs insists his job is protecting those girls and Gideon says like you can't protect your daughter Tubbs is angry he says he's a good father and Gideon says well then why won't the judge let you see her Tubbs decides he's not going to talk about that and Gideon then asks him why he failed his police psych exam. 
And at this point, Tubbs finally decides maybe it's a good time to get a lawyer. So Gideon walks out of the room over to where Hotch is standing and watching and gives him a what's going on here type of look. Yeah, they always get concerned <laughs> when, at, at the timing of the lawyer request in these things. It's like, oh, what would we just say? Because usually they're like, well, this type of killer won't, won't hesitate to tell us everything about it. <laughs> and right. It's like, okay, but they're also not going to confess if they don't think you have anything. So it's, it's, it's a tap dance kind of thing. So I don't know why he's so, hmm, what happened there? I thought <laughs> yeah. I had him. So next, we cut to Reed, JJ, and Prentice at the campus security office. They've gotten Tubbs' locker open. And AJ, what do they find in there? They find porno magazines. Oh, Anything else? <laughs> and yes, another bottle of Kentucky bourbon. Oh, man. Is that it? No. They also find some clothes, AJ, uh, which Reed hands to a, a cop and tells him, to get it in up to a bag and then get it over to the lab. Now, I will say the porn and, and uh, bourbon at work, probably a poor choice. But the fact that he has clothes in his in locker. locker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that they played that up is the biggest thing. Like, it's, all right, were they women's clothes? No. <laughs> right. Were they bloody clothes? You didn't really seem to indicate that they were. So they're just clothes <laughs> in a locker where you keep your Close. <laughs> we then cut back to the precinct and a lawyer has already met with Tubbs and he's walking out of the interrogation room and he asks the, de the detective Griffith, who he clearly knows, by the way, why he's holding his client. They let him know how this guy fits the profile and the lawyer is like, you know that we deal with facts, right? And Griffith tells the lawyer not to be a jackass. He's invited the BAU over there, you know, be polite. And the lawyer says, look, his client was working during each of the murders. And they say, well, he was present at every scene. And the lawyer says, because it's his job. Yeah, he's right. It is his job. And he also says, oh. No, I just, everything they have is circumstantial. And they know it. And the lawyer knows it. So we know where we are. So, <laughs> What do yep. you do? The lawyer says, look, there's no witness placing him near any of the murders. You don't have a shred of physical evidence. And then they tell him that his client was found in, with a young woman in his car who fits the description of the victims. And the lawyer says, well, can you imagine what the uproar on campus would have been if people found out a security guard let this brunette woman walk to her car alone? Morgan walks in. He has the psych eval. And apparently Tubbs was diagnosed as borderline with antisocial and sociopathic tendencies. And uh, they're now standing in front of the interrogation window. And we see Tubbs is in there resting his head on the table, perhaps sleeping. Griffiths comes out saying Griffith comes out saying that the lawyer is going to be all over him. He needs to make a decision on what to do. Morgan tells him he can hold him for 72 hours without charging him. And Griffiths asks Gideon what he thinks. Gideon says, I think only a guilty man can lay his head down and sleep when he's facing three murder charges. It's physically exhausting. The killing, the secrets, evading the police. It's almost a relief when you don't have to hide anymore. And the lawyer comes out to ask what's up, and, the, uh, and Griffith lets him know that he's going to hold this guy for 72 hours. And uh, yeah, it was the it was the nap that convinced him. <laughs> so I, I I think I think I like this guy. Uh, 
of our local cops, like you know, he's he's been very welcoming for them. He's he's looked to them for advice. He's followed their lead. He's grasped what they've told him, and like, yeah, okay, makes sense. He he does seem a bit uh, out of his depth here, but that's why he called them in. So mm-hmm. you know, good good on on Griffiths here. <laughs> mm-hmm. We cut next to Reed, JJ, and Prentice, and they're walking along the campus. They're reminiscing on what it was like to be young. I mean, I don't know that Reed is reminiscing since he's still <laughs> almost the age of these people on campus. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Well, I was 12 yeah. when I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, they, JJ is like talking about, oh, what a time, you know, figuring out who you are. And Prentice says, well, you move around enough and you get used to being whoever people want you to be. And before they can ponder that thought and that little piece of character development, all of a sudden, Katie and her roommate come up to ask JJ if the rumor they heard is true that they caught the guy. And JJ says, smiling and apparently very happy, she's like, well, we do have someone in custody. And Katie's roommate gives her a big hug and thanks her. And then we start to get a a montage, AJ, of... uh, life returning to normal for these college kids their party and having a good time yeah suddenly there's red solo cups everywhere <laughs> it's amazing what a little a little rumor can do <laughs> yes uh and gideon voices over how resilient kids are because they trust and believe in a way that he can remember but he can't reach anymore And then we see Katie and her roommate talking smack about the RA, having a good time. But the roommate's got some studying to do because, yeah, tests are coming up. And so she decides that she's going to go to the cafe to study because she can't study with all the partying that's going on there in the dorm. As she's doing this, Gideon's voiceover comes on and says, they believed in us. They believed in me the same way that Sarah believed in me. And as with Sarah, I feel like I led them to to the slaughter. Because then we see Katie's roommate walking by some bushes on her way to the cafe. And all of a sudden, she's struck on the side of the head. She falls to the ground. She's hit a few more times. And I did note immediately she was getting hit with a rock and not a taser gun. And then we see the shape of an attacker over her body, stabbing her over and over again. We cut to another break. Yeah, it's like, punch, kick, stab, 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 (laughs) stab, 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 stab. We come back from our break and Gideon is still writing his note. He's saying to the... (laughs) I I know it's not comedy, but I wish we would have just gone, page two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That would have been perfect. Uh, uh, Yeah, Gideon says, uh, what was I even doing there? How many times have I told you that a profiler cannot do the job if his mind is unfocused? If anything is going on in your personal life that would cloud your judgment, and then we flash in his mind to Sarah's body in the bed. Gideon says, my mind has never been more unfocused than it was on that campus. We are back and it's a new day. Next day at our new crime scene, the students are milled around. And Morgan says they got to get the barrier pushed back. There's too many civilians around. The dean walks up saying she thought they had someone in custody. JJ says they do. But right now, 
That's not the issue right now. We need you to help get these students to back away. They need room to do their job. So uh, the print, the dean agrees, and she goes over to help with that. And then Griffith walks over to Gideon, who's looking over this body with Prentice, and he says that uh, he guesses. Griffith, this is, says that he guesses they can release Tubbs now. And Gideon says, well, no, that'd be a mistake because he doesn't think it's the same killer. And at this point, Griffith is like, what? Uh, he seems to have a hard time taking this information. Prentice says, yeah, this victim has blunt force trauma to the head. She was knocked out, not tasered. And Griffith says, look, she was a brunette. She was stabbed to death on campus. <laughs> like, period, that's it. <laughs> you, know, you know, not giving them the chance to explain all the differences that seem to be here. Reed points out the stab wounds are shallow, like there, there's no hesitation. There, I mean, there are hesitation marks, uh, like whoever killed her wasn't sure that they wanted to be killing, or, or, or maybe perhaps they've never killed before. And Griffith says, but look, no defensive wounds, just like the others. And Prentice says, well, that's not surprising, considering the big head wound <laughs> that she has. <laughs> Didn't have time to defend herself here. A cop comes up to Griffith with an evidence bag that has a note in it that says that it was dropped off at the precinct. They've already checked it. There's no prints on it. They read the note. It says, he's innocent. I'm still out here. Griffith is like, okay, now don't you see we got the wrong guy? And Reed says, the first, the first unsub showed remorse, and he wouldn't brag about or flaunt his latest kill. And Gideon says, this victim wasn't posed. The first killer did pose all the bodies, but the newspaper didn't include any details about the bodies. So perhaps they have a copycat. And if it is a copycat, the only way they would be able to do it is to assume how the first killer did it. Griffith doesn't seem to be buying it. He says, look, like, I know you guys are the experts, but it really does sound like you're just trying to cover your own asses here. And Morgan is like, look around, dude. This isn't the place really for this conversation. And Gideon looks out amongst the crowd again. He sees a disapproving Sarah staring him down, watching him with blame in her eyes. Yeah, you know, I, I get Griffith here. I, I don't really like the dialogue in this scene. It's like, because it's, again, it's, it's always either the BAU is 100% correct or they're 100% wrong in the eyes of the locals. But, but yeah, it's like, Look, you said this was the guy. We have the guy. Someone's been killed. It's probably not. We, we were you were wrong. Like, look, we have this note, and yeah, they're making sense. Like, yeah, but our profile was a rough profile, and uh, you know, we did catch the guy who fit the profile, and uh, this is not the same unsub. Like, you gotta trust us. Like, I get where he's leery, but uh, can you not see that? they should have they should always prepare these people i think and of course it's television you can't do this every week but it's like look this is the guy who fits our profile it may not be the guy and there may be a copycat out there at some point <laughs> you know like these right. are possibilities but you can't raise that every week and you also just pointed out just before how griffith seems to seem to be cool with these guys so maybe this is an example of where they can do what they've done before, which is have the secondary cop who is the skeptical cop right. and let Griffith still be the cool kind of cop here. Like, uh, maybe, but I don't know that maybe you're introducing another character there, but 
I don't know. It's true. It, it, it's a tough dance because, like I said, you need you need an antagonist in all these situations. So, you know, here you go. <laughs> it could yeah. be the de- you know it could have been the dean, but it's 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 this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, Katie has managed to work her way under the police tape and over to JJ. And she says, hey, you said to us that you caught him. And JJ is like, well, I said we had someone in custody. And Katie is not about to argue semantics now that Alyssa, thank you, Katie, now that (laughs) Alyssa is dead. And instead, Katie just spits in JJ's face and walks away. Uh, Reed has seen this. He comes over immediately and yells at the cops that should have been keeping people out. And uh, he checks in on JJ, who says she's fine. It was nothing but, you know, she's walking away. You can tell she's not really happy at what just happened. Next, we cut to the team arriving back at the precinct. And Hotch is letting Gideon know that Tubbs' lawyer is there, demanding his immediate release. Gideon tells Hotch that he thinks they have a copycat. The lawyer comes out and starts demanding Griffiths to, Griffith to release his client. Griffith sits him down, tells him to calm down. And Gideon asks Hotch if anyone is still in the conference room. And uh, Hotch says, yeah. So he says to him, how long can you hold the lawyer off? Hotch reminds him that he was once a prosecutor. He can hold him off for days if necessary. And we cut to Gideon, who is talking to Morgan, who does wonder if perhaps they're making a mistake. He knows that they're tired. He knows they want to believe that they have the right guy. But what if they are wrong? He knows that the last kill had a different signature. But he also is thinking about how Richard Jewell fit into the profile of the Atlanta bomber to a T, but it turned out he was innocent and those accusations tore apart his life. And then it's a little bit later in the conference room. JJ can't believe that they're going to let Tubbs go. And Morgan, who was the one I would like to point out who uh, originally said we can hold him for 72 hours, is now saying, well, hey, we've got no evidence. JJ is like, yeah, but we can hold him for another 48 hours still. Right. And Morgan, yeah. And Morgan is like, well, you can't hold a suspect indefinitely with no evidence. And JJ points out that 48 hours is not indefinite. It is very definite amount of time. Uh, and uh, 48 hours is not indefinite. And it gives them enough time to clear the campus, more importantly, which is a very good point on JJ's part. Absolutely. And and I'm in agreement if, you know, even if he's not the guy, there's a chance he may be. Why take that risk? You have him in custody. <laughs> yes. You, you get more evidence. Absolutely. It, the only reason you wouldn't is if there was some sort of DNA or something that came back that proves that it, this new killer was related to the first killer's. Then I right. could see it, but that's not what we're going. People, Fine. this one writes itself. Yeah, uh, but Gideon says they all need to just forget about Tubbs because right now they have a copycat. That's what they need to talk about. Uh, so Reed says, "Well, the most common copycats are ones that people wouldn't think of as being copycats. They're usually kids who commit school shooting shootings, and also maybe teen suicides. Uh, they tend to come in clusters." And Princess points out. That either way, it both of those models fit in with an age range that's consistent with the age range they have on the campus. And Gideon says, yes, school shootings do fit the classic copycat model. 
Uh, someone wants their own piece of the glory. They're going to compete with the killer. Uh, Morgan says, okay, fine, but that doesn't fit with the note that said he was innocent. This is about freeing Tubbs. It's not competing for any kind of credit. And Prentice asks if Tubbs could have a partner. And Morgan points out that it's not likely, given that Tubbs is, has antisocial behavior. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the type that would work with a partner. And Reed points out that it could be like a groupie. And Prentice says, well, look, you know, Tub, Tubbs subdues his victims first. He's not powerful. Stabbing them is actually a sign that he could be impotent. Uh, Gideon says, well, a groupie doesn't need to know all of those facts. All they need to do is believe that Tubbs fills some sort of need that's inside them. And whoever wrote that note definitely needs something from Nathan Tubbs. We next cut to a room where a woman is staring into a mirror. Young woman, dirty blonde hair, but she is cutting that and she's cutting it uh, pretty short. She's looking at herself. Once again, rock music is playing on the soundtrack. <laughs> so, you know, thinking maybe this girl is bad. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. She, it's amazing that they're never <laughs> playing some Chopin piano <laughs> concertos. Or, you know, uh, we never see the killer playing, thank God I'm a country boy. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's, it's, it's always the... the the poor heavy metal <laughs> or or rock music that gets blamed for it. Uh, a bad person. Anyway, this girl uh, does have some newspaper clipping about the fourth girl being killed. And then we see her arm and going all up and down the arm. She's got cut marks. And in fact, we then see her use a razor blade to cut another slash near her wrists. The blood drips out onto the newspaper clipping. The rock music continues, but we do cut back to see Tubbs being let out of the police station. And JJ is still in disbelief that they're letting him go. And Morgan tells her it's the right thing to do. And she says, well, yeah, remind me of that next time she's telling someone's friend or that that, that their friend or their daughter has been murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, get, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Uh, Griffith says to Gideon that he still thinks Tubb is guilty. And Gideon says, you know, I think we're going to need those security cameras. They mentioned the security cameras a lot, AJ, so far for them not having uh, any import so far. I'm telling you, it's 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 all about uh, the red herrings out there. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the cameras are just a camera. But we're not going to see the camera, so don't worry about it. They're not going to come and play at all. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so we cut <laughs> back to the... <laughs> you little devious man. Uh, we cut back to this dorm. And the RA is asking Katie for help. Can she go talk to Anna Begley? Because she needs to tell her that the dorm is officially closing at curfew, at curfew tomorrow the next day. And Anna wouldn't even open her door saying that she's not going to leave campus. And I'm hoping that maybe Katie was friends with Anna or something, because I don't know why the RA would like ask her to do this task in particular. Or maybe Katie's popular or, or, or something. Uh, I didn't really. It seemed to be her job that she was just passing off. Yeah, but, you know, she can't get in the door. She knows she's not liked. She, you know, she prefaces this whole conversation with, look, I know you hate me. <laughs> right. But 
Well, I mean, Katie's proven herself to be kind of uh, vocal, and and you know, I could see it. You know, I, look, she's got to get out of here. <laughs> Can yeah. you please help us? <laughs> so, uh, Katie does go over and knocks on uh, Anna's room door, and Anna, after she knocks a second time, gets up and answers. And now, instead of her mid-length dirty blonde hair, she has short dark hair, uh, which Katie notes as she's giving her the message from the RA. Quite frankly, how did she not say, what did you do to your hair, you freak? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She also peeps the bloody news clippings on the wall uh, before Anna can kind of cut off her view. Anna tells Katie to tell the RA that she's not going to be a problem after tomorrow. Uh-oh. And, <laughs> what does uh, that mean? <laughs> yeah. She closes the door on Katie, who just mutters freak to herself. And inside the room, Anna is wrapping up her cutting implements, her knife, as we flash to the bloody clippings again. And also, just apropos of nothing, we see that she has... A ceramic figure of a devil's head on her table. Uh, yeah. In case we weren't sure if she was bad, bad, bad. Yeah, that's a little much there. I, I will say they did a nice job. It, although I didn't go back and check to see if Tubbs's victim was the one he had leered at earlier. Uh, when JJ is on campus earlier and everyone starts red solo cupping and partying, uh, this girl and all her blonde broodingness is front and center in one of the shots, just looking disgusted at everybody and like, I'm not partying. So she, she's on campus. We do see her in kind of a, hey, should I be paying attention to her? No, probably not situation. So yeah, I, I do like the fact that at least she's been on campus. You know, she's, right. she's been around. Uh, we come back to outside on campus and we see that people are packing their cars. They're preparing to leave. And we have a Gideon voiceover. He's wondering if he's Wait, let the Wait, we had a Gideon line. voiceover? Are you sure? Luckily, I didn't even have to look at the captions. <laughs> uh, it was indeed Gideon. And he's wondering if he let a lion loose amongst the babies. At, yeah. As we see Tubbs arriving back on campus and everyone is staring at him. It's almost like he's doing a perp walk down <laughs> down death row or something, the way the students are glaring at him, and he's just walking through the crowd. And my question would be, I understand that he fits in on campus and all that, but there seemed to be a large number of security guards uh, on the list when they originally ran the check. Would everybody know who he was? I'm not so sure. Apparently they all do, and they're all giving him that stare down. Uh, I think you're right, though. I mean, he didn't do himself any favors by still wearing his, his guard uniform. Yeah, uh, because as we learn very shortly, he has indeed been let go from his position. Everyone clearly seems to know that he's the suspect, so they're going to stare at him. Yeah. Um, G Gideon voices over. And wonders if his judgment was clouded by a need to make someone pay for Sarah's death. Tubbs heads into the security office locker room, goes to his locker, and two guards are there. Two of his co-workers or former co-workers staring him down as he goes to his locker. He looks in his locker, grabs his porn magazines and his bourbon. But he does want to know if somebody took his clothes. <laughs> that is the weirdest thing I've ever... <laughs> it's just weird. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but it's like, 
you didn't you didn't confiscate that stuff i mean that's the stuff that got him fired more than anything else like if he's not the guy and he's let go then you you can't fire him but if he's got booze and porn in his locker that you can fire him for so why is that still there (laughs) weird so his co-workers just stare at him and he takes his porn and his bourbon and he leaves we then cut to jj and reed at the dorm and katie comes over to them she says she didn't know who else she could call. And JJ is still kind of looking at her like, girl, you spit on me. I'm, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> you are dead to me. <laughs> but uh, she does ask her why uh, she called them. Yeah. So what's up? Did you, did you finally <laughs> hock up a second one? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we cut to next a shot of a security camera, apparently security camera ing doing its job. <laughs> uh, and it's looking down. As uh, we then see that we're outside and Tubbs is walking by and standing there is Anna and she comes up to him and asks to talk to him. He starts to say, well, he doesn't work here anymore. And then he sort of tries to move the porn mags- magazines in his hand sort of out of view. It's nice to know he still has some see- sense of decorum here. <laughs> but Anna twirls her a- hair hair and she asks him if he likes it. And he's all, uh, do I know you? And Anna says, well, do you want to? Mm. (laughs) We cut back to Katie telling JJ that everyone is bleaching their hair or buying a wig. And this girl is dyeing her hair dark. And JJ is saying, well, you know, it is weird, but I don't think it seems like anything to be alarmed about. Do you have anything else? And, uh. At this point, Katie mentions that she also happened to see the stories about the murders taped to her walls. And there was like, you know, maybe blood or something all over them. She also has a bloody shrine, a bloody article shrine. That's never good news. Lead with that, please. Yes. Start off with that. Yes. So uh, Reed is like, well, what can you tell us about her mental state? Katie's kind of hemming and hawing a little bit. She says no one, you know, really knows her that well. But one thing they do know about her uh, is that she does cut herself and uh, they ask her if she's been violent toward anyone. And she says, no, she hasn't been violent toward anyone. And Reed asks if she's ever talked about suicide, perhaps. And she hesitates for a moment. And JJ is like, oh, talk to us. So Katie sits Spit it down. Out. And- Spit it out, Katie. Spit it out. <laughs> Katie sits down and she does admit that. Anna talked about suicide all the time. She says everyone just teased her about it, calling her like a goth Sylvia Plath. It's just a nice reference, but... But no one called her that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Reed calls Gideon to say he thinks they know who they're looking for as far as the quote-unquote groupie might be. And then we cut back and JJ is telling Katie that It's a good thing that she called them. And Katie says, you know, she's feeling guilty because actually it wasn't just everybody else that was teasing Anna. She was teasing her as well. No, that seems so unlike you. It seems so out of character for you. I can't imagine that you would overreact and join in the crowd and maybe spit on someone. And (laughs) Oh, sorry. Projecting. Projecting. (laughs) So Morgan and Prentice are following Tubbs and and. Anna, but Gideon and Hotch also have them on the security cameras wait, and they're wait, sort of they're following the cameras. <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, believe it or not, 
in case we were wondering if it were going to come into play, yes, they are uh, sort of following them around using the security cameras. <laughs> so Morgan and Prentice are sort of staying back, but following them as well. And they walk off to a secluded location on the campus. And Anna is telling Tubbs that she picked this spot out because no one would be around. And Tubbs is still like, I think you probably have me confused with someone else. And Anna's like, no, you're the person I need. Morgan is checking in with Gideon saying, you know, what's going on? They do have them on the camera. And they also happen to have audio coming in. These are special cameras that they just put in and paid for by the police department and certainly not by the campus. So uh, <laughs> I, I will at least say this is this is a good reason why uh, that Anna doesn't know that there's that there's a camera there. I, I will at least give them that. So I, I would say at least this is a good reason for uh, Anna to not know that this is not a secluded place. Uh, she thinks it is, but I understand why, because the cameras are new. So she might not have... She'd been in her room cutting and brooding. <laughs> right. So next, Princess and Morgan are behind a tree, and they're not going to go any further, because if they do, they'll be spotted. But Gideon tells them, we'll try to get as close as you can, but you can't do anything until this guy makes a move on her, or until either one of them admit to committing any of the murders. Yeah, I mean, we, we already caught this guy once too soon. So yeah. it's, it's almost like what I was saying before. It's like, oh, make sure you wait until he kills her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Obviously, they don't want it to go that far. They're in position. But yeah, I mean, fool us once, uh, you know, shame on you. Fool us twice, shame on us or something like that. <laughs> right. So uh, as they're talking, Tubbs looks over and he does spot the cameras. So... He realizes that he's uh, being watched and he's certainly not going to do anything suspicious at this point. So he's got to talk to this crazy girl and let her know that she's got the wrong person. But he does try to get her to go away. He's like, uh, maybe we should go to my apartment. <laughs> hint, 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 wink, nudge. Uh, so maybe he is interested in a little bit of killing today, but he doesn't want it to be so obvious. Right. <laughs> but she is like, Anna's like, no, you did this on campus. Uh, I know you killed those girls. He's, he starts telling her, look, she's wrong. Uh, the police let him go. And Anna says, well, that's only because someone could, someone else committed another murder. And she pulls out her knife and uh, he doesn't take it from her. She's pleading with him. She wants him to, to do it. Morgan and Prentice figure that Anna wants to be Tubbs' next victim. Tubbs is telling her that this is a trick. And Anna says she just wants him to do it. She's ready. But Tubbs doesn't take the knife. Anna is pleading with him says, please, I just can't, I can't do it myself. Tubbs says she's crazy. Anna says she's already killed someone for him, someone she even liked. That's the all Gideon needs. He tells Morgus and Prentice, go, go, go. <laughs> and Tubbs starts to come at Anna to say, listen, I'm not going to do anything to you. But he's advancing a little too fast. And Anna winds up stabbing Tubbs, boom, into the stomach. He goes down. As Prentice and Morgan are running up, Anna's standing there with the bloody knife in her hand. She asks them, she almost pleads with them to shoot her. It's kind of sad. Aren't you going to shoot me? Yeah. I just killed a man. Like, ugh, I, you know, there's suicide by cop, but man. 
it's not stab a guy in front of them hoping they'll shoot you. Which, oof, she's yeah. she's not well. She's not well. What a goth Sylvia Plath she is. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel so, bad now because I'm making fun of her too. <laughs> uh, good point. Yeah, Prentice says nobody's going to shoot you, but then she shouts out no because Anna has stabbed herself. And she falls to the ground. Did not read the room very well on that one, Emily. Usually, usually the VA is pretty good at reading the room. She's like, absolutely not. There is absolutely no way we're going to shoot you. Yeah. Oh well, then I'll just stab myself. Then I mean, what she really should have said was, "Okay, we will shoot you. Just put the knife down first, right. <laughs> and then we'll shoot you. We'll make sure you die <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you want." So now we get sort of we're into like montage land and. Things happening as Gideon voices over uh, some more things. He says, uh, we've got two more dead. He wonders if it was a price that needed to be paid. Is death ever worth it? Was the world always this gray? Is it only in the movies that it's black and white? Is it just an illusion? My man is writing. He is writing his ass. <laughs> Hell yeah. He says he used to understand. He used to know. He used to know his place, his direction, where he was heading. And he says, profiling requires belief, belief in the profile and belief in yourself. After Sarah, I no longer trust myself at homes. And after Tubbs, I no longer trust myself in the field. And without that, I have nothing. Grim. Very grim. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling uh, pretty bad. So now we're next going back to the tarmac it's the next morning. Griffith is there to say goodbye to them. Uh, he's mentioning it's quite, kind of early for them to be taken off, but they wanted to leave at first light. So Griffith says, I, I, I thank you, I guess. <laughs> this didn't really work out all that great, but uh, thanks. Bye. And then we get a quick little scene between Morgan and Gideon as they're headed toward the plane. Morgan says, Gideon, you knew how this was going to end, didn't you? And uh, Gideon says he never thought that anybody else was going to die. Morgan understands that. He says, I know, I know. But what I mean is the copycat. You knew that the two of them would find each other. And that's why you let Tubbs go. And uh, yeah, it is. He trusted the profile. He's saying, at best, and Hotch is there too. It's, all, it's always just an educated cat, uh, guess. It was the best chance of catching them. Anna Begley was ill. Her suicide may have been inevitable, and Tubbs killed three women. Yes, but what if they were wrong, and then they get on the plane? Yeah, now, before we get into the final scene here and everything, I'm just curious. Do you feel that Gideon is overreacting to to what happened in this case right here? Well, if it wasn't for Sarah, I would say 100%. Like, most definitely, what the hell happened? He's a little intense. I'm, I'm not sure. I... I think given his circumstances, he's acting, I still think he's acting a little more, overreacting a little bit more than he should be here. But yeah, because for me, I can get it. Yeah, my, my feeling is like, okay, you were right on everything about Frank's profile. 100% you were, you were right. And he, he tricked you into letting him go the first time. You know, I mean, but you, you had to make the call to let, like, save the kids. And you didn't know it was going to come back and bite you personally like that. 
Yeah. Uh, so you can't blame yourself for that. And, I, and, and yeah, or maybe he has a little blame and I can understand that. But again, in this case, it's like, okay, but what if we were wrong? But you weren't. <laughs> you weren't wrong. The profile yeah. did work. He's talking about like, oh, we had the profile wrong and this guy got, we didn't catch the right guy and 53 people died and that's my fault. No, you were right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just for me, it's like it, it's really hard for me to to understand why he's so dour. Like I understand yeah. why, why he's in some it's part of his mindset. I get, but it's like, oh, you know, I can't work at home and I can't work on the road and I can't do this and none black is wide and up is down. And it's like. No, you just want to get out. That's fine. It's almost like, and I'm just coming to me for the first time here. It's almost like he's Anna in this situation. I was gonna say that. I was just gonna say it's he's he's at this point got that part where something rationality doesn't seem to matter anymore. Like a despondent person who is, hey, about to commit suicide. Uh, he. He is not he's he is overreacting. And I would think that somebody perhaps maybe wouldn't look at things um, that is in that state. Yeah. And I think maybe he really I don't know if Sarah was just a friend. I, I think he she meant more to him than just a friend. I actually think she was just a friend. And I think that's why it hurts him even more, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, like, you know, well, I mean, we'll, we'll never know. But um I, I seem to think that this was more of a situation was, well, maybe, you know, at one time Gideon did have feelings for her. Uh, but it, it just struck me like, like she is completely innocent. You're not even killing someone I love, Frank. <laughs> I know love. Right. And I don't love this woman. She's just a friend. And I think that's what makes it even worse. Like she and Frank she, yeah, says, she's not even guilty of anything. Uh, the least of which is she's not even guilty of loving Gideon. Which you could even maybe right. justify, like, well, okay, you know, I took your loved one away from you, so you're going to take my love. She's not even guilty of that, Frank. <laughs> and you say she's just a friend. Oh, baby, you, say you she's just a friend. <laughs> all right, all right. Good talk. Uh, so yes. good talk. Let's face the music. Let's get let's get to the finale scenes. <laughs> let's do the last scenes. Yes. So the the guys get on the plane, and then we cut to Strauss's office. And Strauss, we've established she's a she's no bueno for the team. She uh, is talking to Hotch. She's got Hotch up in her office. She says, I've been on the phone with the Flagstaff police all morning. Did you actually allow a disturbed college student to meet with the man you believe to be a serial killer? And Hotch is trying to explain. We didn't know who it was. We didn't. We knew that maybe a meeting would take place. And she's like, we? And he says, I, ma'am. Like, okay, if that's what you want, I'll say it's me. It's my team. You know, he's taking responsibility. He's taking ownership. And and Strauss says, well, now the student is dead. And Hodge says, yes, she committed suicide. Uh, (laughs) She wasn't killed here. She was, she committed suicide. She she was a murderer, Uh, A, (laughs) and B, killed herself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and Hotch is like, uh, well, I would say it wasn't the outcome that we'd hoped for. And Strauss is acting all high and mighty. It wasn't what you hoped for. That's your answer to me. And Hotch is like, yep. She says, give me your badge. And he's like, ma'am. She says, you're suspended for two weeks without pay, pending an investigation of your conduct. 
And Agent Hotchner, if it were solely up to me, you would never get these credentials back. Ugh. That was my reaction. <laughs> and then... Well, and then Hot Jesse Lee is, of course, always a pleasure. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I, I got to mention that. Yes. Uh, I just want to say, like, look, Strauss is definitely being portrayed as the mustache twirler here. And, you know, we need that sort of, you know, we need the bad guy from within. It's, it, it's, it's a storyline that needs to be addressed. They've tried it since the beginning and they've never been able to find the right person. They found the right person now. This is working. I really don't. 100% blame Strauss for this decision. It was a weird call to know that this girl was in the presence of the person they thought was the killer and have agents there and say, let's watch. I think that <laughs> yeah. might be worth a suspension. I, I, the fact that she's, you know, using confirmation bias and she wants him out and all that stuff. Yeah, that's 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 the the black hat of it all. But I I don't think she's wrong in suspending him for making this call. To be honest, <laughs> they took a very dangerous risk, and sometimes it works out for our guys, and when it doesn't, it can be a matter of life or death. So maybe they shouldn't be allowed to take those risks. Yeah, because if the outcome had been that Tub said, "All right, screw it, stabby, stabby, stab," then this conversation is. You let this girl go in, in, in front of the killer, right. and he kills her. Like this, I mean, yeah, this wasn't the outcome they hoped for, but it actually wasn't the worst outcome. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> mm. Just saying. Uh, yeah, good point. So now we have our final scene. We're back to Gideon in his cabin, and he's saying, and that was the last domino, the death of that girl. Hotch being suspended over something that was my fault. Which it wasn't. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning of this letter, I knew it would be you who would come up here. So the phrasing there is now what makes me think it wasn't Hotch, by the way, because he's talking about Hotch in the third person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Here. But anyway, he says, I said I knew it would be you who would come up here. I'm sorry that this explanation couldn't be any better. And I'm so sorry that it doesn't make any more sense. But I've already told you that I just don't understand any of it anymore. I'm sorry. He licks the, puts the envelope, the note in an envelope, licks the envelope, closes it. And then we see he has a gun in his hand. And he's looking at it as the episode ends. So... So I have a new theory now who this letter is for, and I would like to give it to you. You don't have to tell me anything about it. No, I, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Uh, but yeah, let's let's. And, and this is not an official prediction. This yeah. is you know this is like a cliffhanger type thing. So, uh, but no, yes, I was about to ask you anyway. So, what do you think? So, I have two people in mind, and one person. The person I think makes more sense is not the person who I think it actually is because the letter sounded like he was talking to someone he worked with. The person I would think that might make the most sense is his son coming to look okay. for him. But the way the letter was written sounds a little, I don't know, it sounds a little bit like he's writing to someone who works with him. So if it's not Hotch, I think this may be crazy, 
And I'm probably wrong, but I think maybe he's talking to JJ. Okay. That's uh, that's I okay. I don't know why her, but I think maybe it's her. Okay, and now the other question that I will certainly have to ask, what is this? Is this a suicide note? Are we going to have gunshot? I think it's not going to be an actual suicide. I think okay. uh, they would have, I mean, that would have been a jaw-dropping ending if we had the gunshot and just saw him. And I do think maybe... It's even crossing his mind, but I don't think we are going to have Gideon kill himself. Okay. Well, we shall see. We shall see. And I I don't think he's going to shoot himself, I should say. You know, maybe he shoots himself and doesn't die or or something like that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I don't think he's even going to shoot himself. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we'll find out. We can't not find out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, we could by not we, we stop the podcast right well, here, Yeah, okay. <laughs> Assuming we tune in for for episode two. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I don't know. Do we want to do a a uh, barometer here? Do oh, I yeah. think it's? I, if, I think it's fair. Hey, every case deserves the barometer. I mean, this is a loss. Clearly, two people were killed while they were there. One was the un. Oh, three people actually were killed because they missed one killing you know when they first showed up and then um committed by by our second victim who kills herself so you know yeah they're, they're really over three in terms of saving lives and yeah. uh, you know how she gets suspended at the end of the case so it can't really be a win it's gotta be now <laughs> yeah uh started off not good this this season <laughs> yeah i agree yeah folks it's uh also time for Something I've just started now calling three questions. Uh, it's a little bit of a quiz that AJ gives me at the end of each episode, inspired by the episode that we just watched. So, uh, AJ, why don't you take it away? All right. Two questions uh, that are going to be just uh, free guess on your part. And, uh, of course, our third question will be multiple choice. So, question number one, inspired by the episode, what actor who at one point in his career would play a CSI unit leader, grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona. Huh. I don't know. I wonder if a CSI unit leader is going to be on one of the CSI shows. Uh, I'm probably going to be really obvious by making that one of my guesses. And so I'm going to say our Flagstaffian... Is uh, we'll go with. I don't think this is the case, but we'll go with Ted Danson. Ted Danson was not born in Flagstaff, Arizona. However, he grew up there. You are correct. It oh. is Ted Danson. Well done. Oh, wow! I always like the lucky guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a small, <laughs> small group of people who have fit the mold. So we have a right. good job there. Excellent. What a way to start a season. Yeah, there you go. It's all down from here. All right, question number two. (laughs) Question near and dear to my heart. Richard Jewell was mentioned in this episode, uh, having once been accused, but ultimately exonerated completely as being uh, the Olympic Park bomber. What was the rhyming name of the band that was actually factually performing when that bomb went off in 1996? Huh, I should be able to remember this. 
Actually, factually, uh, I'm trying to think of a rhyming band name and none are coming to my head. I am going to say, because it's the only band name I could think of, although I think their time was long over by now, but I've got the perfect guess, and I'm going to say it's Scritty Politi. <laughs> <laughs> Scritty Politi. <laughs> Well, that is indeed a perfect way to get the question wrong. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> uh, but of course, I'm amused by that. Uh, no, no, this is uh, this is just one of those facts that I always knew because I remember it happening. And I had a friend who, for years afterwards, would would uh, deadpan whatever happened to Jack Mac and the Heart Attack. Oh yes. I remember that band name. Yeah. yeah. They were they were they haven't been performing when the bomb went off, and that's the only reason I know their name. <laughs> I, I yeah, I've I, I've heard it and I suppose it's a perfect name for a group <laughs> that is uh, at a bombing, but <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. what are you gonna do? Uh, well indeed. <laughs> uh it's it's Jerry Palm and everybody stay calm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I want one right, one wrong, and now the only one that really matters. Question three. Which of the following is going to happen as part of the plot of Criminal Minds Season 3, Episode 2, entitled In Name and Blood? In Name and Blood, although I have to caveat this they said when the episode aired the name of the episode was in birth and death and i have no idea that why once it went to streaming services the name changed to in name and blood oh really yeah so it's either in birth and death or in name and blood depending on whether you're watching it first run or now <laughs> that's wild that's wild it, okay it, it is don't quite understand it but there you go so <laughs> Which of these things will we be seeing next week's episode? Is it A, fed up with all the shenanigans and office politics? Emily tenders her resignation. Is it B, Gideon, gun still in hand, decides it's time to go, quite literally, and his life flashes before his eyes? Is it C, Gideon is missing? Hotch, as we know, is suspended. So Strauss decides now's a good time to join the BAU on a case. Or is it D? Milwaukee police ask for help when a serial killer strikes a series of female victims. Huh. None of those sound like they could tell me specifically in blood and in name or Vice versa, however it, it was. In name and blood or in, in, in birth name. and death. Or in birth and death. So I got to wipe that out. Usually I want to go with maybe something, if it seems like it's going to continue uh, with the next episode, uh, this would be a good place where it would if this episode was meant to be a season finale and we have such a cliffhanger at the end of the show. And uh, we also have a prediction of near-death experiences. 
to think about. So that would almost lead me to pick choice two that Gideon is going to actually shoot himself and have some sort of near-death experience. But I'm going to say no. You've given me a couple of red herrings, and now the actual answer is kind of a generic. They're going to go as requested in choice D. Did you say Milwaukee? To, I did say Milwaukee, yes. They're going to go to Milwaukee to uh, solve some serial killings, which seems a little random <laughs> because every show is about some serial killings. But that's the choice I'm going with, nonetheless. Okay. Well, what if I told you that I have done shenanigans again on you? For the correct answer is... A, C, and D. <laughs> oh. Yes, Emily will tender her resignation. Strauss will join the team on the case. Gideon will be missing, and we're going to Milwaukee to hunt serial killers. <sighs> <laughs> you are killing my spirit. <laughs> I am so disappointed. I, of course, AJ wouldn't do that to me again two weeks in a row. He it was not... a to-be-continued, so the torture <laughs> continued. <laughs> well, damn, 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 James. Okay. Well, that's going to be something to look forward to. It's going to uh, be a jolly ride. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I really didn't want to see was that damn Strauss joining the team. That annoys me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be... Uh... Oh, it's going to be smooth sailing. Just a smooth episode. <laughs> Start to finish. Okay, well, awesome. One out of three. Uh, it's not great, but it's about my average, so I'm happy with that. Well, folks, guess what? That's the show for this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We hope you had a great time. As I usually say, please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling wheels up every man is guilty of all the good that he did not do voltaire <laughs>